listeners, welcome to the Pick Up Your Bible podcast. This is your host, Cynthia Pavamani. If you've stumbled upon this podcast for the very first time, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you'll find it worthy of your time as we learn more about God through His Word together. We are in our summer Q&A sessions, answering questions from our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to send questions our way and giving us the opportunity to share our understanding from the Word of God on issues that you're considering in this season of your life. I'm flying solo another week. Actually, it'll be another couple of weeks before DeCruz returns. He's extended his vacation and decided to take an exotic trip that I'm sure he'll tell us all about when he comes back. Till then, I'm kind of jealous, but enjoying the beautiful days we've been having here in the Pacific Northwest. The question we're tackling today on Pick Up Your Bible is, what does the Bible say about being unequally yoked? This phrase, unequally yoked, is taken from the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and can be found in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Here's what it says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? great question and one that doubtless comes up in the life of a believer who's living a world that's full of unbelievers. That's all of us. But as always, we can depend on the Bible to lead the way, guide our thoughts, and steer our actions even in this regard. We can know for sure that Paul is not suggesting that we have nothing to do with unbelievers. We know this because in his earlier letter to the church of Corinth, Paul says that we must associate with unbelievers because if we didn't, we need to go out of the world. In the same letter, he also addresses having dinner with those who don't share our faith. Paul is definitely not advocating for believers to live lives that are disassociated from the rest of the world. Of course, our Jesus didn't do this either. He constantly hung out, ate, and had conversations with unbelievers around him. So we must be careful not to be dogmatic with these verses, but be intentional and precise in the way we decipher scriptural text. What are these verses in 2 Corinthians that we just read talking about? Let's read these verses again, and I'll share some of my thoughts for your consideration. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? So let's address some elementary questions. What's a yoke? This is an agricultural term that was very familiar to the Corinthian audience, but possibly lost on us. Even if described, it may still need to be seen to make sense of the metaphorical use here. 
A yoke is a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the neck of two animals and then attached to a plow or a cart that they are to pull together. It's meant to enable the animals to equally distribute the load or burden that would be otherwise too heavy for one. The Corinthian crowd and any agriculturally inclined audience of today would know the need for the two animals to be similar in strength, posture, and size for the shared yoke to work as it's intended. Hence the term equally yoked. If not, that is being unequally yoked would mean using a bigger animal on one side and a smaller on the other. In Deuteronomy 22 verse 10, we read, Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. It's for the same reason. Being unequally yoked means there's a danger of the smaller animal getting hurt or the bigger animal carrying a load that is too heavy for it. Recently, we moved, as I shared last week, and in carrying and moving boxes, Godwin and I definitely found ourselves in the ox and donkey situation. Me being smaller and considerably weaker in brute strength, got hurt just dropping things on myself or tripping because I wasn't moving at the same pace as him. This also meant Godwin was carrying more weight and at awkward angles and had a sore back for days. Being unequally yoked also proves non-functional or purposeless because now the cart moves in circles instead of going straight. Another personal anecdote, I remember when the girls were younger taking them out onto the lake to go kayaking. They were too small to let them alone on a kayak and so Godwin and I split the girls up and each of us took one on a two-person kayak. The girls were eager to paddle, but when they did, you know, the strength of the adult paddling totally overshadowed their efforts and the kayak just kept going in circles. So we literally had to wait for them to get all their paddling energy out, just going in circles. And when they were done, we adults just took on the paddling duties. We couldn't paddle as far out as we initially intended to because it was definitely tiring to be the only one paddling on a two-person kayak. See, what Paul is instructing here is not the absence of a relationship between the believer and the unbeliever. Rather, he's calling out wisdom we need to use in relationships with people who don't share our beliefs. It seems to me that he's specifically referring to five expressions of relationships through the five rhetorical questions that he asks. The five questions he asks are, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So we have these terms like partnership, fellowship, accord, shared portion, and agreement. These are particulars of a relationship, not the relationship itself. Paul is in no way implying that there is no relationship between the righteousness and 
lawlessness we find in the world. There's much relationship. Our very commission is to go out into this lawless world and share the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ. So of course there's a relationship. But it doesn't require, and we should not pursue, relationship manifestations like partnership, fellowship, being of one accord, shared portions, or agreements. Yes, this is referring to specifics in relationships like marriage, business partnership, investments or shared property, agreements on beliefs or social norms. When we insist on entering these kind of engagements with unbelievers, we set ourselves up in compromising situations. Let's consider partnership in the form of marriage. The very thing that defines marriage and sets it apart from friendship is intimacy. You share with this one person whom you love and marry the very intimate parts of your heart, which you don't do with any other friends. That is intimacy. Now, being a Christian, Christ is the very core of your heart and your life. If you marry one who doesn't share, understand, or support your love for Christ, how do you share your heart with them? You can't. Which means you can't be intimate with your unbelieving spouse in regards to the most important thing of your life. So either your marriage will suffer for lack of intimacy, or in seeking intimacy with your unbelieving spouse, you displace God from the central theme of your life and your intimacy with God will suffer. This is why marriage with an unbeliever is markedly different and unbiblical when compared with friendship with an unbeliever. In marriage, there needs to be agreement on things like how you raise your children, how you spend your money, how you treat your aging parents. These are not issues that threaten a friendship, but could destroy a marriage. Do you see the wisdom Paul is sharing? You can save yourself so much heartbreak by seeking out a partner who is in agreement with you on the most important things in your life. To those listening to me who are married to unbelieving spouses, this is not advice to leave them. It is so tempting to want to walk out on a marriage where you cannot share the kind of intimacy that I talked about. It is most definitely a challenging situation that takes the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to live through day after day. However, there is specific counsel for you in the Word of God found in 1 Corinthians 7 verses 12 through 14. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. There is hope for the salvation of your unbelieving spouse and there is a work God is planning to do through you for that purpose. He will strengthen you to handle this challenge when you lean on him for the power to do so. To my younger audience, 
I will add this counsel for your consideration. In our late teens and 20s, if this is when we are seeking out a spouse, we're at that age we just don't have the foresight to know what the most important things in life are. We're not thinking of the specifics of raising kids in our early 20s, at least most of us aren't. We are not making financial commitments at that age. We're not thinking of caring for aging parents or how we are spending hard-earned money beyond our houses and cars. We just don't have that information or experience to carry those thoughts yet. And so it benefits you to be humble and open to the counsel of the elders around you when it comes to their advice and wisdom on timing and choosing of your courting and ultimately marrying someone. Be open to the God-given resource you have in believing parents and people around you to guide you in this season of your life. Now getting back to the text, let's consider the terms Paul uses of accords, agreement, shared portions, um, as quote-unquote unequally yoked forms of relationships. De Cruz was sharing with me this new challenge facing companies these days, especially during this COVID season of people hiring others to interview on their behalf, as in impersonating them on Zoom calls or telephone interviews for remote positions. It may very well be that that person can do the job, but just doesn't interview well, and so justifies this means to the end. Integrity is not part of the job description, just part of an honor system that is quickly dissipating in the world today. The truth is, we can't count on a common set of values, morals, or principles if God is not the leading force behind them. People are serving themselves and their needs by any means available, and it's understandable in the life of one who doesn't know God. This shouldn't be the case, though, for a believer. A believer who is standing on the steady rock of Christ is always led by the Spirit of God to act righteously, justly, and mercifully in all situations. One who is seeking to glorify himself and one who is seeking to glorify God are not on the same path and aren't going to the same goal. One is going to have to give up their principles or morals for the sake of the agreement. This is the compromising situation that Paul is calling unequally yoked. Think of being in a business partnership with one who doesn't put God first in his or her life. You are now legally binding yourself to a person who has markedly different ethics and goals that forms a moral compass for them that is not God-glorifying. You are legally tying yourself to decisions and choices they make under the guidance of their broken moral compass. Think of this. As a Christian, have you changed? Has Christ changed the way you love? Has Christ changed the way you worship? Has your relationship with God changed the way you spend money, you raise your children, you work? or you care for the lost around you? If your answer is yes to these questions, which it should be, consider the fact that you are entertaining the thought of entering marriage 
or legally binding business relationships or agreements on moral and social concepts with people who answer no to every single one of these questions. That is being unequally yoked as Paul describes it. Every human has an ultimate goal, and if the most important thing for a Christian is to glorify God with all their body, mind, and spirit, who could they engage with that understands partners and works together on this goal other than one who shares the same goal? This is not to say that unbelievers are void of morals or principles. Some of the kindest, nicest, and well-principled people I know are not believers. But overlapping morals and principles do not translate to God-glorifying morals and principles. And for a believer, who is the temple of the living God, there is no greater purpose than the glory of God. So let's be sure to take the time to pray and rightly process each of our relationships with unbelievers. Thank you so much, listeners, for spending this time with me. I hope it's added a perspective on these verses that is worth your prayerful consideration. Consider reaching out to us and letting us know how we can answer your questions about God and His Word. Email me at Cynthia at PickUpYourBible.com or reach out to us on Instagram at PickUpYourBible. Until next time, God bless you and may His Word lead and guide your every step.